All right, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this privilege, this honor of gathering together as family in the unity of a faith that you've provided, Father. Thank you for the peace and quiet in doing so. Thank you for this edifice where we can gather together and do this. What a grace blessing North Christian Church has been. We just pray that it continues to bring glory to you. Father, we thank you also for your grace, your mercy, and most of all, your love. That we have the privilege of abiding in it in time. We know it's not perfected in us yet, Father, but we certainly do enjoy every provision you've ordained in our lives as individuals and even as a congregation, Father. We just want to bring glory to you. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us this morning, and we pray most of all for those that are still lost, striving after the wind and coming up short every single time, Father. We just ask and pray that you humble them, that they might see the and receive the true light that is in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we're most grateful of course, for your son's work on the cross. We just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, God sees the heart, but the world sees the choices we make. Part 17. I'm going to try to pick up the pace a little this morning. Uh, As such, we are likely to come to a close, part 17 of a series that I had guessed would last about five or six parts, max. Goes to show how fallible even a pastor's uh, intuition is. A pastor who's listening closely to the Holy Spirit actually is. I mean, just, I'm listening. And, you know, I make these ridiculous estimations about how long (laughs) a series is going to go, and pretty much I'm wrong every time. But it's still fun, I guess, in a way, as long as you don't take me too serious. Um, May none of us ever forget one basic element of our faith. Go to Isaiah 55, 6. Isaiah 55, 6. doesn't mean that I'm not being led properly. It just means that he only gives me so much. And that's a very good thing, and that's something we all have to learn. Even in our own lives, you know, you all have your own virtual pulpits. You have your own lives to live and your own sort of timelines to, to live out. Um, and he doesn't give us always five steps out. He gives us one or two. Why? I suppose because we're awful about knowing the future. As soon as we would imagine having a crystal ball, would you ever leave the house? Probably not. Would you be able to sleep at night? Probably not. So it's good that he kind of quote, keeps us in the dark um, and requires of us that little thing called faith. Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon And there's the famous verse, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. And that's what made me think of 
um, the way I opened up. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. To emphasize my previous point up here on the board, I'll give you the message translation of Isaiah 55, 8-9. It reads, I don't think the way you think. That, I mean, we could stop this message right now. I'm serious. If you read the blog as well, um, I don't think the way you think. We have to remember that. We try to, we think we're God. We, we think, like I just said, I mean, I thought we were going to go five or six parts. 17? I mean, that's like more than triple. Pretty good at math, right? That's more than triple my estimation. Why? I don't think the way you think, says God. You think you're going to be all done, and I'm saying no way. You have no idea what I have in store for these people. I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. God's decree. For as the sky soars high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. And the way I think is beyond the way you think. Very very wonderful things to think about starting off this morning. Let's continue though. Verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. And instead of the nettle, the, myr the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. Again, Regarding this, our 17th part in this beloved series, it just goes to show that even the man at the helm has limited insight as to exactly how and when God chooses to sanctify us. While it's true that I am a few steps ahead of you, as that is a requirement for leadership, the truth is that God doesn't give me ultimate perspective on our curriculum, only enough to do my job effectively. And frankly, I'm really happy with this because I think if I knew too much, being the uh, fix-it kind of guy, I'd somehow manage to mess it up with my desire to, you know, work on things and fiddle and make things better. So he doesn't let me do it, and that's a good thing. So with that said, let's complete this fine work. Uh, Go ahead, sweetie. Come on. Let's complete this fine work now by putting to bed this tremendously edifying series. Much of our messages as of late have pivoted on one key perspective that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us. Again, much of our messages as of late have pivoted on one key perspective that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us. Up here on the board. We've been on this particular passage. This passage has been coming up 
uh, time and again over the past week especially. Uh, it's not a, a novel passage for us as a congregation, as you know, but here it is. Luke 10, 41 to 42. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is necessary, and that's the advice that the Spirit's been giving us all week, that most of us, especially in America, are completely dominated by the details of life that overcome us, overwhelm us. Why? And who's the... We have to at least be humble and accept that we're the culprit. Who's the one who chooses to have all these things in our lives? Who line up our days with our little calendars and our Outlook folders and all this kind of thing and a bazillion emails and this and that and the other? Who does that? Who's responsible for putting all that stuff on our plate? We are, for the most part. And then we complain about not having enough time. And we, we don't understand why we don't have peace. And this is what Martha didn't have peace. She's running around. You can almost imagine the scene. She's running around, probably sweeping, cleaning, cooking. You know, oh, the Lord's here. I've got to make sure, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, he, and the Lord says, only one thing is necessary. And you're missing the point, Martha. While you're running around, your sister Mary is at my feet. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And that's good for all of us to hear. As we learned on Tuesday, all things pale in comparison to sitting at his feet and taking in his word emphasis on all things. All things pale. So the life you just left behind, it pales in comparison. All those things, some of you are probably still dragging. There's still probably the vestiges, the remnants of whatever's out there. The, I call it the, the, the aroma. Let's call it what it is. The smell, the stink of the world is probably still on you, on your soul somehow. And some of you still right now, the word's washing you. And by the end of this lesson, if you're paying attention, you'll be washed clean. You'll be like, this is great. I'm so glad I decided to come today and give up the details of whatever it is. Um, eventually, you'll be washed clean. But some of you, I know this because it happens to me even. And I'm standing behind the pulpit. And there's things, you know, trying to get in uh, every so often. You guys just turn your pages quicker. I'd be haunted less. <laughs> Let's go. Get some thumb things. Even I have the thumb things, see? You don't have to be a show-off. I don't even need the thumb tags. I just know where everything is. Aren't you wonderful? <laughs> all things pale in comparison to sitting at his feet and taking in his word. All things. As the Spirit's been pointing out, distractions, they are nothing more than counterfeits. Dwell on that today, please in your spare time. I know there's a lot of football coming on, but take some time and dwell on it. The fact that distractions are nothing more than counterfeits. The greatest of these is counterfeit love, including the pursuit of it. Now, I know this is true. I know this is true. DJ, if he was up here, he'd say the same thing. Everybody seems to be after some love. And Satan in the, the kingdom of darkness is right there to dangle it in front of you like a carrot. Oh, but I need, I need romance in my life. Do you really? 
How's that worked out for the last 30, 40, 50 years in your life? How has that worked out for you? But I need it. Oh, I love him so much. I love her so much. She's such a sweetheart. Yeah, how's that worked out for you? The only thing I can see from my vantage point is you keep skipping out on the one thing that matters most. The one thing that is necessary. Martha. <laughs> That's what the Spirit's been saying. Those things are distractions. And the sooner we realize that, the better off we are. Distractions are nothing more than counterfeits. The greatest of these is counterfeit love, including the pursuit of it. In a country with a bazillion distractions, I actually looked that word up. Bazillion is a real word. It means like n unbelievable numbers. See, it was worth you coming today just for that, right? Jim's like, come on. Seriously? <laughs> In a country with a bazillion distractions, no charge. It's easy to make the mistake of saying we need something that really is nothing more than a want. We love to play that game, but I need this and I need... No, you don't. You want that. And your ridiculous buddies over here agree to call it a need. But it's not. So we like to play that game. On Thursday, we tried to imagine a world, for a moment, just to kind of take it from the other perspective, a world absent of all said distractions. And the big question is, okay, so what would be left? Imagine a world, imagine your life right now without all the distractions, the things that have really nothing to do with God or godliness. Imagine that world for a moment. What would be left? Heaven? Heaven on earth, so to speak? Maybe we could start by asking a single person. For as Paul wrote, they have a better chance of being less distracted. Go to 1 Corinthians 7.32. Maybe we go to a single person. I mean one that's not chasing a counterfeit love, that is. One that's not preoccupied with trying to, I don't know. If I say any more, I'm probably going to get crass and I don't want to. It's too early on a Sunday morning. 1 Corinthians 7.32. I mean, maybe we could ask a single person what it's like to be able to devote themselves to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7.32. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. This is what Jesus was saying to Martha. The one thing that's necessary, secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. I don't know, you know, I'm a broken record, but when it comes to romance, start your romance with the Lord first. He's your husband. Learn about Him. Fall in love with Him. Fall head over heels in love with Him. 
And you know what? He's perfect. And he's never going to fail you like every other schmuck in this world will. Including the, some of you are like, yeah, I married one of those guys. Could have learned that lesson before I married him. Or her, ladies, so stop getting cocky. Secure, undistracted devotion to the Lord. Let me give you the living Bible. Verse 35, I'm saying this to help you, not to try to keep you from marrying. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few other things as possible to distract your attention from Him. You, sh- you, you really, I mean, I'm going to say this, and you can take it for what you want. You really have no right even getting married unless you have an appropriate relationship with the Lord first. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm not saying you can't come together after this kind of a thing. But you understand what Paul's saying here. In best case scenario, get yourself right with your husband first. And then worry about a spouse. Get yourself right with him first. And then bring that to your marriage. Here's the key principle in view for all of us, not just single people. Of course not. Undistracted devotion to the Lord. This refers to a life void of distractions that take you away from your first love, to reference Revelation 2, 4. Anything, I'm going to ask you to say it again, what? Anything Anything that creates a distance between you and Christ is evil. Anything. Usually the easiest one is our loved ones. Romantic, children, I don't know, best buddies, football, Sports, I don't know, whatever your pro hairdos, ladies, shopping sprees, I don't know, whatever it is that scrunchies, whatever it is that takes you away from, oh, look at this one, it's so awesome. I'm serious, a scrunchie could take you away from Christ. It's not likely, but it could happen. Anything that creates a distance between you and Christ is evil. We had a little fun on Thursday pondering the following because we like to make ridiculous excuses, right? Hey, how come, you know, how come you haven't been taking in the grace from, say, just the ministry itself, the pulpit, the blogs, the Bible, whatever? Well, well, I have to make money. Do you? How much are you going to make? I can't neglect my kids. They look fine to me, but they might be missing Christ. That might be the neglect of all neglects, by the way. I have to look good for my spouse. Thinking you're thinking about yourself in the mirror. Thinking you're thinking about other people evaluating you. God wants me to enjoy His blessings. That's true, but not to the point where they become a distraction. Where they become evil. See, that's something the flesh is really good at. Take something good, a grace blessing from God, and turn it into something evil. Isn't that what Paul said? Don't take your freedom and turn it into an opportunity for the flesh. Use that time to serve one another. But I want to enjoy my blessings. (laughs) Jesus Christ says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So why not give yourself? 
I don't like this lesson. But when we think about those things, my recommendation is to check your presuppositions. What is, what is each one of those statements presupposing to be true? Well, in the money case, it's, hey, listen, uh, In the money case, it's, hey, listen, I have all these needs. Do you have needs or are those wants? Do you need to buy stuff that you want? Or do you need to actually, like, literally take care of your family? Or literally pay your, I don't know, your heating bill in the, in the winter? Oh, what are we talking about here? Check your presuppositions. And ask yourself what it is that's taking you away from the Lord. We got a little perspective from the Bible on money. Go to Luke 12, 28. Luke 12, verse 28. And I know you're all familiar with this passage. So, you obviously have forgotten it because here I am teaching it again. You obviously need to hear it again. Because God doesn't make any mistakes with His curriculum. See, that's probably why. Maybe I had more faith in you than God does. I thought we'd be down to like 5 or 6, and I'm like 17. You guys, I don't know what, some are really messed with you people. Luke 12, 28. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will He clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. That's their preoccupation. The world, the unbelievers, that's all they have to think about. What can I get today? What, what kind of merchandising can I do today? What kind of transactional things can I do in the economy of the world this day? Can I get better food, better clothes? What is it? That's what the world focuses on. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows what you need, that you need these things. So don't worry about it. But seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's what we've seen and concluded up here on the board. Handcuffed to wealth. The person who defends their distractions with, well, I have to make money, is the person handcuffed to their wealth. We saw 1 Timothy 6.10, Hebrews 13.5. That is the fundamental reason for Jesus' retort, Luke 12, 33. Then sell your possessions because you have a problem with them. This whole economy that you're involved in, where you think you need more money, is holding you back. So sell your possessions. Get rid of that system of thinking. It's that old saying, things you own end up owning you. You don't have the capacity for all those things that the world is willing to give you. Oh, the world loves to reward us. Any way it can reward us that takes us away from Christ, you know it's going to do it. So I'm sorry to break the bubble. You're really not that good at your work. It's just the kingdom of darkness knows who you are and it's trying to take you away from Christ. You don't think that stuff happens? It happens every day. I know I broke your bubble. I'm sorry. Man, I thought I was like the cat's meow at work. You are as far as the world's concerned, which is why it keeps rewarding you handsomely. But every time it does it, you're going one step away from the Lord each and every time because you know how that goes. Now you have more responsibility. It's like I tell my boys. Nobody pays you more money 
unless there's more something to go along with it, more responsibility. If it was that easy, everybody would be making six figures a year. You right? You know what I'm saying? The kingdom of darkness, Satan's a lot smarter than you. Anyways, Jesus said, sell your possessions because you have a problem with money. That was the point. Up here on the board, Hebrews 13, 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Why? Because that's a counterfeit love. In America, it's probably one of the largest ones after romance. It's probably money, I would argue, but only God knows. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Why? That's a counterfeit love. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. You either believe that or you don't. Again, the original point from 1 Corinthians 7.35 up here on the board, undistracted devotion to the Lord. This refers to a life void of distractions that take you away from your first love. Anything that creates a distance between you and Christ is evil. How many things? What, what is it? Anything. Anything. And again, there's our little list. Just... Food for thought. I have to make money. I can't neglect my kids. Like I said on Thursday, your kids need Jesus, not soccer. I have to look good for my spouse. Be honest. God wants me to enjoy his blessings. Mm. You sure they're from him? In the first place? Check your presuppositions. That's how you get to the root of all this stuff. If we presuppose a want is a need, we are able to justify just about anything ridiculous that ultimately takes us away from the Lord. Let me say it again. If we presuppose a want is a need or as a need, oh, it's like open season, right? If I can just presuppose, glaze over the fact that it's not really a need, it's a want. But if I can supplant needs with wants, this kind of thing, then I can justify anything. Well, God knows I need this. Giddy up. But ultimately, these things take us away from the Lord, which is evil. However, if we're honest about our presuppositions, we cannot build a case for our fleshly desires. That's the whole point. We want to debilitate the flesh because the flesh is manipulative, dishonest, the whole nine yards, right? Tashuka. If we're honest about our presuppositions, starting with needs and wants, we, it's impossible for us to build a case to justify our fleshly desires. We're crippled. The flesh has been crippled. And that's the whole point. We want to cripple the flesh. We want to realize what the truth is about ourselves. We want to learn the truth from the Bible. Here's your needs. Those things not needs. Those are distractions. Here are your real needs. Focus on these things. Use these as your presuppositions. Use these as the baseline for your supposing other things down the line, and your flesh will be crippled. It will be incapable of building a case that takes you away from Christ. That's what we're doing. So where does this leave us? Right back to the things that matter the most, starting with love. Up here on the board, we saw this in Jesus Christ himself. John 10, 17 to 18, he said, For this reason the Father loves me, cause and effect, because... I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. It means he was willingly 
picking up his cross, so to speak. We're all charged with picking up our crosses daily. I have authority to lay it down. You have authority over your own soul. You have authority to lay your life down. I have authority to take it up again. You don't have that authority. This commandment I received from my father. The whole idea is that the father loves him, cause and effect. Why? Because he laid down his life, and that's what the father wanted. Does that sound vaguely familiar? Greater love is knowing this, lay down his life for his friends. Does that apply to you and me? You bet. Are we supposed to esteem others as more important than ourselves? You bet. Are we supposed to see a brother in need and ignore it? Nope. Where's the love? This is what the Bible tells us, Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. So let's just synthesize these two things. If we synthesize these two passages, we conclude that sacrifice, is that word, sacrifice is a fundamental aspect of love. Sacrifice is a fundamental aspect of, let's call it true love. This is contrary to the person who's distracted by money, by kids, by the details of life, etc., etc. It's contrary. Because that person really is sacrificing their time and energy on their supposed needs that are actually wants. So the emphasis in our lives must be to remain tapped into the very source of love. It's then that we are able to bear the fruit of sacrificial love up here on the board. And that's what we noted with that last passage with Jesus Christ in Philippians 2.3, synthesized that is. Godly love is sacrificial. By nature it is supernatural. Supernatural. In other words, you're not able to love in a godly way, without the help of God. That's why an unbeliever can never love like God. By nature, it is a supernatural thing, meaning God is the source of it. Therefore, we must abide in His love as instruments of righteousness to be able to bear good fruit. For example, live sacrificially for others. And just a friendly reminder, our Lord said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're preoccupied with the details of life, if you're living in counterfeit love for all those details, you're not going to sacrifice anything except for yourself and for your own purposes. And what did we just see with Jesus? My Father, I followed my Father's commands. For this reason he loves me. I laid down my life that, because that's what he wanted me to do. My heart was with him. My treasure was with him. Not with money. He didn't even have kids, but you know what I'm saying. Not with the details of life. And he's our prototype. A more practical approach to this would be to ask what the Spirit's been asking us all as of late. Who and or what do you love more than Jesus? And don't say nothing or nobody. Because the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. 
Who or what do you love? And I'm talking functionally. I'm not talking emotionally. Oh, how dare you say that on a Sunday morning? I love Jesus. You probably do. So settle down. I'm talking functionally. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm talking functionally. Who and what do you love more than Jesus? That's a fair question. Who and what are you sacrificing your precious time daily for? Because that's what's taking you away from Christ. And anything that takes you away from Christ is evil. The whole idea of sanctification is you're unified with Him. Not separated from Him. So who and what are you sacrificing your precious time daily for? And in going through this introspective exercise, do you realize that said love for something or someone more than Jesus is evil? That's all. It's not rocket science. That's all the Spirit's saying here. He's saying whatever it is that's taking you, whatever detail, Martha, whatever it is that's taking you, you're missing the one thing that's necessary. You should be worshiping me. I'm not saying this. Jesus is saying this. Jesus says you should be worshiping me. Nothing else. I bet, you there's, I bet you there's people, in the, I know there's people in this world, so-called Christians, if they're even believers, that spend more time waxing and buffing their car than they do reading their Bible. Or maybe waxing and buffing their eyebrows. Or their faces. Or whatever it is. Getting Botox or lipo or... Now what's the one? You freeze dry your fat? Is that uh, right? Isn't that what it is? You like put like some freeze dryer over here, and then it like falls off like a chunk. Is that how it works? I'm being I'm being a wise guy. I know it doesn't work that way, but there is like this freeze dry thing that goes on. You go in like a freezer and you just go like this. I'm kidding. It doesn't work that way either. I think it's chemical. I'm not sure. It's making stuff up because you guys are getting tense. Jesus himself warned us of things. Go to Luke 14.26. Luke 14.26. Yeah, that sounds like a really swell, healthy idea. Hey, freeze the fat off me. That sounds swell. That was a great idea. Luke 14.26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters. Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Ouch. Yeah, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So not only, do you, not only are you supposed to be running away from distractions, but in comparison to the love he wants you to have for him, you should hate it all. And this is a relative statement. Let me give you, before you get too crazy. Hate his own father, etc., etc. What was Jesus saying? You're supposed to hate your father? Of course not. Not the way we think of it. This is a relative statement. Unfettered love for Jesus in its purest expression is so great that every other attachment pales in comparison. So much so that when imposed as the standard, if this is the standard of love, then everything else is down here. 
All the gradations, you know, like, oh, but I love this person way more. I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, way more. Like, there's this one person in your life, and, like, this person's, like, way up here, and then there's, like, a gang of everybody else, right? And then there's some people I don't really like. But the scale's, like, this big. Well, then you have to shrink it all the way down like this. So take it, shrink it, shrink it, so it's, like, miniature like this. And then Jesus is way up here. So when now you look at the grand scale of things, that's hatred down there. That's in the realm of hatred if there's a continuum. Love's up here, hatred's the other pole. Down there is hatred. That's how much he wants, that's how great his love is. So everything else, all the details of life, should pale so miserably that by that standard, you hate him. And some of you are like, man, my car is up here. Or my whatever's up here. Or this person's up here. And Jesus is like almost on par. Well, Jesus is a little bit above. That's still not enough. If anyone or anything is even close to Jesus, did we not just read this? this you still have to be sanctified. You're still missing the point. So, hate his own father, etc. This is a relative statement. Unfettered love for Jesus and its purest expression is so great that every other attachment pales in comparison, so much so, that when imposed as the standard, his love makes other love measure up as hatred. Now, if you're like a lot of people who hear such statements from Jesus and say, and we're just showing our soft underbellies now, if you will. So you read that thing and you're like, you know, I could never love like that. It appears I'm just too in love with this or that person even, or thing, whatever. Well, let's say it's a person. I could never love that Jesus so much that I hate this person the way he's talking about. Hmm. All I can tell you is that such a perspective is missing one key ingredient. And we're just being honest here. You know, someone who says, I can't love like that. Remember, love is a gift from God. You're right. In your flesh, you can't. And it's very possible the first time you hear a passage like that, it's impossible for you. Because you're still growing up. You're still learning the Word of God. You're still being sanctified. Maybe you're still young in the faith. So the balance statement here is don't get too down on yourself. If you look in the mirror, all Jesus wants, all God wants is honesty. It's true. You can't love like that. But I can give you a love that will take you there. But you've got to be humble and willing to give up these details. You have a part in this. You can say no. You can try to control me. You can try to use me as a rebound guy and abuse me. You know what I'm saying, right? Oh, yeah, you know, like the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2. Oh, yeah, you go to church and you go through the motions and you even help the old lady cross the street. But I have this against you. You lost your first love. He's not up here. He's here. Something else or someone else somehow surpassed him. And any promise of peace, any of that stuff has suffered because of this imbalance, this wrongness in your life. So just remember that love is a gift from God. Don't ever exacerbate yourself because you lack a portion of it. None of us have perfect love. Jesus did. We don't. To love like Christ, to love Him even, is a function of sanctification which takes time. 
What's the key to the spiritual life? Humility. Just stay humble. You hear, right? I know some of you are like, nah, I wish I stayed home today. But you're here. And you can't change yesterday. Tomorrow's, you know, the future, so it's not even real yet. You have right now. Just stay humble. See what he does in your soul. See how he sanctifies you. You're here. Yeah, okay, it's great that you just said in your soul, yeah, I can't love like that yet. That's perfect. That's awesome. That's what he wants. It's at that point he has something to work with because he can't work with arrogance because as Scripture says, James 4, 6, he's opposed to the arrogant. He's opposed to the arrogant. He gives grace to the humble. And love is a grace gift. If you lack love, then do as follows. This has come up, I think this might be the third or fourth time. Then go to God. If you lack this ability to love, that's being demanded, by the way, then go to God. When in doubt, ask for wisdom. James 1.5. It's critical that we learn this basic lesson while we still have the time. Again, as per our series title, God sees the heart, but the world sees the choices we make. When God sanctifies us and we're able to love like Jesus, God is glorified. So, stepping back now in our series, we have been focused on the second part of the series titled, The World Sees the Choices We Make. Hence, the Spirit's emphasis up here on the board. This is all Scripture. I don't say these things. This is the Word of God. 1 John 3.18, Little children, let us not love with word or tongue but indeed in truth. That's what I was saying earlier. You might say, but I love Jesus. And you, you probably do, but that's not the end goal. There's a function to said love. And God wants you to function in that love, indeed in truth. Now, if that's scary to you, then whatever. At least be honest about it. Say the same thing you just said maybe about love. I can't love like that. I can't do it yet. I don't know how to love yet. Like that. I don't know what that means to, to love indeed in truth. Just saying you love, though, isn't enough. That's what the Bible tells us. Just saying you love isn't enough. To play that game is to stunt your own sanctification. And in doing so, you restrain love itself from being imparted to you, at least enjoyed by you. That's what the Apostle John was getting at when he said, Let us love indeed in truth in other words may our love be functional not just lip service in the amplified version up here in the board we read in first john 3:18 little children believers dear ones let us not love merely in theory with word or with tongue giving lip service to compassion but in action and in truth in practice and in sincerity because practical acts of love are more than words. That's what the Bible says. As we begin to wrap up this series, let's consider some connective tissue back to our previous messages up here on the board. This, this should look familiar at this point. Life made easy. When we abide in righteousness, we receive peace. To love is righteous. Therefore, a loving person is at peace. Loving, there's activity there, there's function there. Not just lip service like we just read. An actual loving person, indeed in truth. That's where you find peace. In other words, your whole life is, is, is becoming of Jesus Christ. 
Your whole life is occupied with loving like Jesus Christ. That's when you find peace because everything else has been surrendered. And the more you love like Him, the less space in your cup, if you would, is left for the details of life, the counterfeit loves in your life. And it's when you abide in Him that you have peace. It's so simple. This world is so complicated. It's, it's supposed, it is designed to be complicated. The kingdom of darkness has designed your life right now to be complicated. Some of you spent 10 minutes trying to figure out what earrings you were going to put on today. Or what, I don't know, hairpiece? You don't know, but DJ's serious, seriously thinking about one. What are we spending that time on? Is life really that complicated? Yeah, for most of us, yeah. And when you live in America, that's one of the beautiful things. I'm so looking forward, especially Michael, because he's never been over there. But Scott and Michael's trip to India. Things just go like this. You ready? It's like this. Everything's simple again. That's it. Places with no running water, no electricity, no nothing. They're not worried about earrings at 8 in the morning or hair pieces. They're worried about food. Like, you know, like real needs. They're worried about keeping their family warm because it's going to be a cold night that night. That's what they're worried about. And that's the simplicity. And you go over there and you find, I'm not kidding, Scott, you'll agree. You go over there, you find guys, guys and gals with more peace than any of us ever have. How? You tell me. What's the problem? What's the difference between that life and the American life? bazillion, yeah, that's a word, bazillion distractions. Very few. People on drugs because they don't have peace. Peace in abundance. What's the difference? You don't have to be a PhD to figure, in psychology to figure this out. It's very obvious what the difference is. Way more distractions over here. See, I would argue in many ways, uh, and I'm digressing a little bit, but that's okay, that most Christians think that living in America is a blessing. In many ways, it's a curse. Are there blessings in America? Yeah. Most of you have no problem eating or whatever, being, you know, living heated rooms and this kind of a thing. But there are so many distractions that the tests... The testing, the daily testing, the things that are able to rip you away from your first love are so much greater than in a village in India where there's no running water. Your perspective is very different than the person who gets up and says, I got to go get water. It's 4.30 in the morning. I got to feed the ox or the goat. I got to go get water for the family. I got to start the fire. Okay, those are like necessities, right? That's like living as opposed to you. And I'm not talking down to you, or me. Hmm. I wonder what, um, I wonder what cologne I'll wear today. <laughs> and you're upset, like legitimately upset, because the bottle's getting low. 
You see, that's, a, that's different than most Americans think. Most American Christians will say, oh, we, this is the greatest country, we're, we, we're so blessed, and blah, blah, blah. Is it really a blessing? Have you really looked at America and what America stands for with its idolatry? Is it really a blessing, or is it actually a curse? Is it actually a huge test? I don't know, you, you answer that for yourself. But I know what I think. I know what I think about it. It'd be one thing if we all passed the test, right? It'd be like blessing, blessing. But most of us fail the test. So you have what could be a blessing become a curse. Because as soon as the flesh takes hold of us, a blessing can turn it evil. Mm. Very interesting. Anyways. Life made easy. When we abide in righteousness, we, we receive peace. To love is righteous. Therefore, a loving person is at peace. To the contrary, for people who don't love like Christ, the only option is fear. 1 John 4.18 Unloving people fear everything. Unloving people fear everything. Fearful folks are saddled with specific curses, as we've been studying. Among the foremost curses is the curse of unforgiveness. An unloving person refuses to forgive. They may go through the motions, but it's not heartfelt, as it were. And most of you will attest firsthand up here on the board, an unforgiving heart is a heart without peace. An unforgiving heart is a heart without peace. Here's the key principle on this from our previous studies. The sphere of forgiveness. We ought never think of forgiveness as merely transactional. I forgave you. I forgave you a long time ago. But are you abiding in the sphere of forgiveness? Because forgiveness and love are cousins. We ought never think of forgiveness as merely transactional, but rather we ought to think of it the way we think of love. Spherical. All-encompassing, in other words. We pursue forgiveness as a way of life, whether we are the offender or the offended. The thing that really bothers you most is the splinter. Let's just get it out. We're all part of the body. Let's just talk about the brethren now. We're all part of a body, and there's a splinter in the body. Who likes to have a splinter, right? Like the most irritating thing. Let's just get it out. It doesn't matter how it got there. It's causing pain in the body. Let's just get it out. Whatever it takes to get it out. I don't care if it was you or me. It's you today, it's going to be me tomorrow. So who cares? Let's just pursue what the Bible calls reconciliation. Let's pursue that, which really is ushered by forgiveness. Another key perspective the Spirit's trying to impart to us is that we ought to consider forgiveness as a whole in light of the cross. So to add, to amplify in light of the cross, for love hung on the cross that day, with forgiveness hanging in the balance. So you see, the one who uttered, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness was the ultimate objective. Jesus, unlike many religious folks who dare take on his good name, wasn't focused on calling out the sins of others, but rather on reconciliation. Jesus would say things like, go and sin no more. Did he see sin? Of course he did. 
Did he spend all his time pointing out sins in others? No, actually he didn't. He actually didn't. He sowed the gospel seed, which is one of love and forgiveness. That's what he sowed. Religious people don't like that. But Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, focused on other things, not calling out the sins of other, others, but rather focusing on reconciliation. Jesus' primary goal in his incarnation wasn't even to walk around judging the sins of the masses. <coughs> it was to save these people. Go to John 12, 44. John 12, 44. And as Philippians 2 says, Have this attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself, died on a cross even, for the sake of love and forgiveness. Have that attitude in you. And if you don't have that attitude, have God pointed out in you. Go to God. Because He will. He'll point it out. He'll say, you're preoccupied, Martha. You're being a Martha right now, not a Mary. You're preoccupied. Some of you don't go to prayer just for that very reason. Because you know exactly what He's going to say before you get there. So rather than suffer the conviction... He goes, don't go at all. <laughs> it's like when you're a parent, when you're young, you know you're going to get spanked. Get over here. Uh-uh. Get over here. No way, because if I go over there, I'm going to get hit. So I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> right? I'm going to get kind of convicted. I'm going to get slapped around a little bit. That was just my own. My mother used to hit us with two-by-fours and chairs. She's little, but she's, she's a tiger. I just only made that up. She didn't hit us with chairs. Much, much heavier stuff. But always under the arm. So no one would notice the bruising. Is that wrong? I'm just being goofy. Lighten up. You know my mother didn't do that stuff. John 12, 44. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. You see his perspective? To save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one uh, who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Again, Jesus' primary goal in his incarnation wasn't even to walk around judging the sins of the masses. It was to save them and to enact the solution, which we would call reconciliation, which really is the forgiveness of sins. So with the sin issue standing between the holy God of the universe and mankind, Jesus' focus was on reconciliation. That's the, thing that, that's the sphere of forgiveness. That's why we went through this exercise. Because that should be your day-to-day um, -day conception, if you would, of forgiveness. He saw something as a problem. He just wanted to get to the solution. He said, I can solve this problem by grace and love, and I'll do it. Is that you? Is that you today? You say, oh, no, they've got to come to me. They offended me. Who cares? Stop being a, a baby. Do you want this or not? 
Do you want there to be goodness? Do you want there to be peace? Does everybody, who doesn't want peace? Come on. How do you have peace when there's a rift between you and another person who you might even love? That's why you never let the sun go down in your anger. It drives people crazy. People that love me, it drives them crazy. I won't let them go to bed. I won't let them go to bed. I'm like, you're going to talk to me about this because I can, I'm not going to let the sun go down on either one of our angers. Do you know what I'm saying? I'd rather stay up till 2 in the morning, 5 in the morning, 3 days later, just to get it out. Do you know what I'm saying? That's, that was Jesus, though. He said, it doesn't matter. There's a problem here. I just want to seek whatever the solution is. Instead of judging people, he voluntarily chose to take that judgment onto himself. Imagine that. He wanted reconciliation so bad, he took someone else's judgment on himself. That's how much he wanted forgiveness and reconciliation. Again, he took judgment onto himself for the sake of forgiveness, for that is what love does. That is what love does. While sin must be acknowledged and confessed, it is in our place to judge it. This is the perspective that the religious camp needs to adopt. Go to 2 Corinthians 5.18. 2 Corinthians 5.18. I know I'm moving quickly, but I said it at the start of class. We're just closing up a 17-part series, so it's to be expected. Just hang in there. Maybe, just maybe you remember that the video is recorded, and you could watch it again if you missed anything. Just throwing it out there. Guys are working feverishly back there, Right? Todd would probably already have his toupee if he wasn't here all the time working on AV stuff because he could spend more time working because they're expensive now, right, if you don't want acrylic. 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you see that? Does everybody see that? We actually have a ministry by grace given to us. What's it called? Reconciliation. Oh, it's not judging? It's not the ministry of judging? It's not the ministry of unforgiveness? No, it's actually the ministry of reconciliation. And you know who's watching? The whole world. The world sees the choices we make. Look at that stubborn jackass. He's a Christian? He won't even forgive his neighbor. I thought Jesus was like the forgiving kind of guy. I don't want anything to do with this Christian thing. I don't even like the one Christian that I know. All these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So in other words, we should be sowing the seed abundantly, whatever it takes. We're trying to get people to Christ, right? We're trying to get the brother. We're supposed to pay a special attention to the uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's all about unity. Remember the garden? <laughs> Big old fracture. <laughs> Everything blew up. God's trying to sow it back together. That's what reconciliation is. Enmity between God and his creatures. But there's a way. We're supposed to 
Embrace it. Not keep pointing out mistakes along the way. If we ever forget what forgiveness really is, all we have to do is reread that passage we just read. And it's really short. I know it's a lot to ask when the football games are on this afternoon. Remember the following. Love and forgiveness, they spring from the same vine. That vine is Jesus Christ. John 15, 5. Christ's love and forgiving heart were evidenced on the cross. We celebrate His heart when we partake in communion. We just took that it was last week, right? Yeah, we had communion service last week, 1 Corinthians 11, 28 to 29. This is what we should be thinking of when we partake in communion service. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I can't love like that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me, though? Jesus is the very manifestation of love, and since forgiveness is an expression of said love, evidenced wholly at the cross, we ought to solemnly consider His calling upon our own lives. We're all enjoying today because we're saved. Amen? Who didn't get up this morning and at least say, thank you for another day. It's so wonderful to be alive and be saved. At least have a hope. I know where I'm going. I don't know how the heck people live in this world and not have a destination, not have some hope that can even get you out of bed in the morning. Oh, that's right, you got a pharmaceutical pill to help you get out of the bed in the morning because you're miserable. Why are you so miserable? Because you don't have peace. Why don't you have peace? Because you lack love. And love is a grace gift. Hmm. Up here on the board, Luke 9, 23, and he amplified... And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, and take up his cross daily, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come, and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example, and living, if need be, suffering, or perhaps dying because of faith in me. All in. Remember that song by Stella Cart? All in. All in. This is what Jesus said. You want to be my disciple? All in, baby. This is about all in. I'm going to grab you by the hand. Listen, you want to marry me? I mean, who's going to say no to Jesus, right? Want to marry me? Okay, I got you. Now I'm never letting you go. Let's go. All in, right? Martha? Are you in? Martha? Oh, sorry, I was in the broom closet. Oh, I was making my three-hour potato soup. I don't know why I'm talking. That would be like in Ireland. Here, kielbasa. Oh, no, not kielbasa, Polish. Kale soup. Three-hour kale soup, right? Huh? Portuguese section over here is like, well, Portuguese steak, got to marinate it. Got to get the fries just right, some rice maybe. The Mozambique. Whatever. All in. What's keeping you from being all in? Honestly. Who or what is keeping you from your first love? Because the Lord said, you've got to pick up your cross daily. And oh, by the way, everybody else is watching. Just saying. So in light of His own cross, 
we ought to always remember what his cross and therefore our own cross represents. What's the ministry that we have? We have a ministry of reconciliation. We just saw it. Our whole purpose, didn't that, isn't that what we just spent like two years doing? Our entire purpose is for the gospel. If you don't understand that by yet, rewind the entire website and go back and start again. Because the reason you're left here on earth is to spread the good news about Jesus Christ. If that's not the focal point of your life, something is missing. I'm not saying you have to be an evangelist like Scott over here. I'm not saying you have to go to the park like some people do. I'm just saying your focus when you get up in the morning has to be on him, on this ministry that you have. You don't have to be a pastor to have a ministry. You all have a ministry. But I'd rather like pout, you know, I'd rather pout and, unfor- and be unforgiving the rest of my life because those people hurt me. You don't know. I was young. I was abused. Hey, join the club. You don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, and I really don't care to know. No offense. I really don't care to know. What I do want to see, though, is what Jesus Christ wants you to see. That life and peace is in forgiveness and love and reconciliation. Abiding. Right? What's that? 1 Corinthians 13, 13, right? Faith, hope, and love. Grace of these is love. Abide in that. So when we talk about the cross, we have to think about our own crosses. Fundamentally, that they are love and forgiveness. This is why we have supporting Scripture in specific contexts. I've got to pick a spot to close, but go quickly to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Since we just had communion service last week. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Fundamentally, the cross is about love and forgiveness. And so when we partake in communion service, these are the things we have to think about. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. But a man must examine himself, and in doing so he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. If something's out of whack up here on the board... Communion service, this is the celebration of the embodiment of love's expression of forgiveness. When we partake, we must examine ourselves. Where are you relative to love and forgiveness? What do you think of his cross? What about your own? What cross are you bearing anyways? Are you bearing a cross like some people do that is self-inflicted pain? Is that what you turn around and tell the rest of the world that you know, God has it out for you and you're just a soldier for Christ and the world needs to just celebrate you because all the mistakes you made and the ridiculous, you know, reaping and sowing, that's your cross. Oh, the cross I have to bear. No, that's the cross you put on yourself. The cross he wanted you to bear is the ministry of reconciliation, the one that takes you out, the one you have to take your time, talent, treasure, those kind of things, and go out and evangelize people. You know that stuff? You had to give up the job promotion. You had to give up this thing over here. You had to stay away from romance over here so you could actually do this undistracted devotion to the Lord. That's what carrying a cross is. Not suffering because you put yourself in a pickle. Because you put yourself underwater financially and then called it a blessing from God. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. That's not you picking up your cross. That's you being an idiot. 
That's the flesh talking. I would argue most people that I know, most Christians I know, when they say they pick up their cross, uh-uh, they're dragging around their dead body still. And they're wondering why it's causing all kinds of pain and what the smell is. They're dragging around a corpse and they're saying, this is tough. And God's like, no kidding. Drop that stuff. Drop the details of life. Examine yourself. Where are you at relative to your first love? What ministry are you after? Are you ministering to yourself and your ridiculousness because you're hungover from the night before? And I don't mean just physically, but maybe figuratively as well. Did you take a little tryst, a little romp in the world last night, last week, last month, last year? That's why you're hungover. Because you were intoxicated for the last year on the world. Don't call that your cross. That's self-inflicted, deserved suffering. Let's get to nuts and bolts here. That's what's in view. Too many people presuppose too many wacky things about themselves, their lives, their choices. And I'm not judging anybody. But this is what comes out when you look at the word examine. That's what it means to examine. Look at your life, long and hard. Look at it and be honest. If, you, you know, if that was you, if you just spent the last year intoxicated, it's whatever, it's gone. You can't change it, so don't be dragging around guilt. Now, geez, it's heavy enough with a dead person. Now you're going to drag around guilt on top of it? Let's throw some guilt on there. Yeah, that's good. It's not about that. It's about right now, seeing for what it is, Truth for what it is, seeing it all as truth, right? And moving on and start making good choices. Make a good choice just for today. Don't even worry about tomorrow. I don't, I'm going to keep making these good choices tomorrow. Then don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is the future. It does not even exist yet. But you can start now. That's what examine should bring to heart. So I just want to elevate our thinking before we close. Because we are, after all, trying to understand what true wisdom looks like regarding our series title, God Sees the Heart, but the World Sees the Choices We Make. Since it's wisdom we are after, let's consult the word. An old favorite in the Amplified Classic, Proverbs 4.7, the beginning of wisdom is get wisdom, skillful and godly wisdom. A lot came from this pulpit today. Guaranteed, you probably got about 30% of it. But you know what? Ah, this is, so, this is the coolest thing. You ready? There's a website, and the, the videos are, like, really good. I'm serious. Like, the quality's good. The sound, if you have an iPod, you can put it on your iPod or your phone. Do people even have iPods anymore? It's like phones now. You put it on your phone. It's like a podcast. There's all kinds of cool things. I think, do we still make CDs? It's unbelievable. There's some people still on CD. You know, the ancient ones. I'm just kidding, right? If you need a CD, if you say, I don't have an iPod player because I'm too busy spending all my money on God. Well, I'll give you an old CD player and you can, we'll make a CD for you. How about that? What's that? You're breaking up. <laughs> Going through a rough spot. It's my cheap phone because I spend all my money on God. No, you don't. <laughs> the beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. For skillful and godly wisdom is the principal thing. And with all you have gotten, get understanding, discernment, comprehension, and interpretation. 
All right, I'm going to end with one verse. Go quickly to Galatians 5.13. See what I said? See how I get stung again? We ain't, we're not ended at part 17, folks. I still have a good amount of notes left. It's unbelievable. He just likes embarrassing me. Keeps me humble. I guess this would be a nice... Given especially this morning's message, Galatians 5.13, For you were called the freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We might call that functional love. Don't just lip service it. Don't just say, oh, but I love my neighbor. Jesus Christ said, love your enemies. Whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, I don't know how. Then go to God. I can't stand that person. God's like, I know. I actually put them in your life for a reason. This is a test. This is going to strengthen you. Anyways, for you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this wonderful privilege of studying your word together as family, being able to fellowship with you in this unique way, a way that you've ordained from eternity past for our own good and sanctification, Father. What a wonderful privilege it's been. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned, the wisdom we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Amen.